Okay, I'm going to read our passage for this morning. So if you could open up your Bibles to Acts 4. Today we're going to be looking at verses 32 through 37. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, as we were worshiping this morning, I was thinking that um, I'm glad that we're in Acts right now, because sometimes in worship, I can kind of slip into this rut and think that, like, if the slides are perfect and all the equipment works right and that incredibly complex collection of chords that make the live stream happen, if all of that just goes well, if, if all, of, all the slides are right, if everything happens, then, then I'll be able to worship well this morning. Then I'll be able to worship rightly. And uh, when like something goes poorly, I, you know, oh man, you know, like if that slide, that slide would have been the right words at the right time, then, then I would have been able to worship. Um, but it's good for me when we have a service like this where like the wheels just kind of fall off um, and like the live, you don't know this, but the live stream isn't working. And so like it's, uh, I mean, it is, but the slides aren't working, which is good because the slides aren't working here too. And that means you get the same experience in person and at home. Um, but it's good for me to be reminded that like the early church didn't have any of this stuff, you know, like they didn't have sound equipment. They didn't have slides. They didn't have PowerPoint. They didn't have a live stream. Uh, they had a savior who they loved and wanted to worship together. And they needed the one thing that we need to be able to worship rightly. And that is grace. And we share that with them. And so whether, whether things go well or go poorly, we can worship Jesus rightly, not because of the equipment we have, not because of whether it works or doesn't, not be whether or not like this sermon goes well for me, but because we have the grace of God on us through faith in Jesus. So I'm happy to celebrate that with you this morning, to be reminded of that by the book of Acts. So let's pray together and then we'll get into this passage this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you have called us to yourself. That you are the good shepherd and your sheep know your voice. That you have called us out, called us to yourself, and you care for us. Thank you that your grace rests upon us. And that we can come together as your people, as, as your body. And, and celebrate who you are and what you've done for us, not out of any power or strength or ability or, or technology that we have, but only by the grace that you've given us. And so we pray this morning that as we uh, look at the early church in Acts, that you would send your spirit, the same spirit that in, inspired Luke to write these words down, you would send your spirit to, to empower us to learn from your word together this morning, to benefit from your word together this morning, that you would, you would convict sin and, and call us toward obedience 
Jesus, that you would use your spirit to, to draw us closer to yourself this morning. That you would stir our affections and the love we have for you. And that we would leave reminded once again of how needy we are for you. And how incapable we are without you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in Acts 4, 32 through 37, this passage that Maddie just read for us, we get another one of these uh, summary statements from Luke, where Luke is kind of like telling, giving us these accounts of stuff that has happened in the life of the early church, and then he like throws down a whole bunch of information at once, and like kind of a summation to say like, this is what's been going on with the church. Um, And so this is another one of those. And in this update, we see four main things about the life of the early church. We see the unity they have, the generosity they have, the the powerful witness that they have, and uh, the abundance of grace upon them. So those are the four things we're going to see as we walk through this kind of summary section together. It gives us a kind of a, a peek into the life of the early church, what's been going on with them. And we see unity, generosity, uh, powerful witness, and great grace upon them. So the first thing we see is their unity in verse 32. Luke says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They were of one heart and soul. And this is important because the last time we kind of got an information like this about the church, uh, they had been growing. Like they've, they've added a bunch of numbers to their church. And so the church is growing numerically. It's growing in size. But Luke points out that even though that's been happening, they've also been growing in unity, which is kind of counterintuitive if you think about it, right? Because if you add more people to a group, That should be adding more differences, more disagreements, more uh, potential for problems. But Luke is saying, no, like the spirit has been moving as these numbers have come in. They have grown in unity. They're of one heart and soul. And I think it's important for us to remember that in, in the biblical world, heart isn't like emotions and feelings, right? It doesn't mean that they all felt the same things. The heart is the the core of who they are. It's like the center of their person. They were all about the same things. They were about Jesus. They were about being devoted to him and being devoted to one another. That was what was their like burning desire. Who they were at their core was devoted to Jesus and to his people. They're of one heart and soul. They're not just a social club. They're not just good friends. They're not just people that like to hang out. These are people that have been knit together by the Spirit of God to be the church of God so that they can together fulfill his mission. So they have this tight unity together. Next thing we see uh, in the end of verse 32 is their generosity. Luke says, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but They had everything in common. Later on, Luke says in this passage that there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to any as had need. And he's going to give us a specific example of this. Joseph, a.k.a. Barnabas, a.k.a. son of encouragement, had some property and he sold it and came and brought it to the apostles so that he could, they could distribute it to people who had need. We're going to talk about their generosity, but before we do that, I want to, I want to kind of chase this, this rabbit of Barnabas with you. Uh, Luke tells us that his name was Joseph, but the apostles... 
they decided we're going to give this guy a nickname, and his nickname is Barnabas, with, which Luke explains to us, which means son of encouragement. So Barnabas is a guy that's hanging out with the early church. The apostles see him, and they say, that guy needs a nickname. That guy's nickname is Barnabas, because Barnabas means son of encouragement, which is different for us, right? Because if, if we're going to throw out a son of name, the one that gets used most often in our culture is not a positive one, right? We don't give people nicknames like this, but the early church gives Barnabas one. Why? The reason why is because in this culture, the the most important relationship is the father-son relationship. For us, it's probably the husband-wife relationship, but for them, it was fathers and sons. And the reason why that was is because the father was the most significant figure in the family, Right? Whoever, if you were a son, whoever your dad was, whatever he did, whatever standing he had, high or low in society, you get all of that from him. So if he's a carpenter, you're a carpenter. If he's a fisherman, you're a fisherman. If he is well-respected, you will be well-respected. If he has no status in society, you have no status in society. And that's not something that you could easily change. And so when they give someone a nickname like this as son of encouragement, what they are saying is they are saying Barnabas is so characterized by encouragement, it's like encouragement is his dad. He gets everything from his, 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 this encouragement idea in his life. This concept of encouragement is so important to him, it's like who his family is. I think that that's something that we should learn from. Right? I know that we don't typically like to look at the Bible and say, like, be like these people, right? Barnabas isn't the hero. Jesus is the hero. But who Barnabas is because of Jesus is an encourager. And we can learn from that, especially us as a church who like to encourage people and then also kind of get a little dig in so they don't get, you know, too built up. We want people to be edified and encouraged, but not not too much, right? We don't want to be prideful. So let's encourage people and then tear them down just a little bit. Or we could not do that. We could just encourage. We could just build up. Right? I think every single person we know, every single person we have a relationship with, every single person we come into contact with, if someone you see is a person who is living in this world at this time, they need encouragement. The end. So let's be encouraging. Let's be like Barnabas. Let's be people that are so characterized by encouragement that we give all each other encouragement-related nicknames. And when you encourage people, be specific. Right? Don't just be like, hey, great job. I like you. You're appreciated. Tell people why. I like that you did this. You're really good at these things. God is working you in these ways, and I see it. Be encouraged by that. Encourage one another. Be specific. Be like Barnabas. So back on track. Generosity. Luke highlights the generosity of the early church and draws our attention to, uh, to it. He says that they shared everything, people sold their property, came and laid it at the apostles' feet. So first, let's talk about what this doesn't mean. We talked about this back in Acts 2, but I don't think that Luke in Acts is teaching some sort of early form of communism, where like private property doesn't exist, we can't have our own possessions, 
Everybody in the church has to sell everything they have, and we pull it into this one big fund, and then the church uses that. That is not what is taking place. In fact, next week, we're going to be in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and we're going to see that made clear. As Peter is going to say to Ananias, when you had this field, wasn't it yours? You could have done whatever you wanted with it. Right? They could have kept it. They could have sold it. They could have sold it and given some of the money to the church and not all of the money. But the fact that they lied about it is the problem. And so he's not teaching that we can't own things, that we can't have things. In fact, even think about that specific example of Barnabas. Right? If the entire church is selling everything they have and bringing it all to the apostles, then why does Luke hold up Barnabas as an example? Why does he say, hey, check out this guy who did this amazing thing. He sold his stuff and gave it to the apostles. He does that because Barnabas is an exemplary uh, model of generosity. He's doing more than other people did. Not everyone did that. He's a good example, and that's why he gets pointed out. So it doesn't mean that we can't have our own stuff. It doesn't mean that we are, are sinful if we hang on to our stuff. So what does it mean? What is, what is Luke trying to show us about their generosity? Well, I don't think it ends the, the I, don't, I don't think it means the end of private ownership. But I do think it means the end of selfishness. It means the end of us saying that what I have is mine and mine alone, and you have no claim on it. Luke says there was not a needy person among them. Not one. No needy people in the church. Not any of them. I think this means that for us as a church, if there are needy people among us, we are not the kind of church that Jesus calls us to be. If people have needs and we have resources that could meet those needs, we're not being who he's called us to be. Now I know this is a descriptive passage, not a prescriptive passage. Right? He's describing what took place in the life of the church. He's not giving us a list of commands to do. But it is God's word. And it is authoritative for us. These things were written down for our instruction that we might learn from them and benefit from them. That we might see examples in them that we should follow. And so I think if we see someone who has need and we have the capability, the ability, the, the stuff to meet that need, we should be taking action to meet it. I think that is what generosity calls us to. Ray Ortland says that his dad would say that... Uh, there are, there are two kinds of people that enter a room. One person enters the room and says, here am I. I'm here now. You're welcome. The second type of person enters the room and says, there you are. Let me get to know you. Let me, let me ask you questions. Let me dig into your life. Let me be an encouragement to you. I think that we could apply a similar line of thinking to generosity. First, we need to remember that generosity is bigger than money. It's not just what we do with our bank accounts. Generosity is what we do with everything that God has entrusted to us as stewards. Our, our finances, our skills, our abilities, our homes, our families, our time. Everything that we have and everything that we are has been given to us by God to be his stewards and use them for his glory and for the good of others. That's what generosity is. It's not just us saying, what I have is mine. 
And we can look at all the stuff that he's given us and we can either say, this is for me. This is for my enjoyment. This is for me to build up my own little financial kingdom. Or I can say, this is for others. God has given me this. He has blessed me so that I might be a blessing to others. Gospel generosity has the attitude of saying, Jesus, everything that I have is at your disposal. Church family, everything that I have is at your disposal. And I say that and immediately I think of things that I don't want you to have. I don't even want you to borrow it. And so don't think I'm just laying this out there on you guys. Like, I don't want to hear this either, but I need to. Gospel generosity is living our lives with extravagantly open hands. So why does this matter? Why is this important for us to talk about and and learn about? I think it matters because showing generosity or not showing generosity shows a belief or lack of belief in the gospel. When I don't show generosity, I'm revealing to myself and to others that I'm not fully trusting in who Jesus is and what he's done for me. When we fail to show generosity, we're we're operating with a scarcity mindset. Right? There's only one pie out there. And there's only so many pieces to go around. And I worked hard to get my piece and you can't have any of it. If you work hard too, maybe you can get yourself a slice. But your slice is yours and mine is mine. Instead, right, every opportunity we have to show generosity to someone else is an opportunity for us to put the generosity of our Lord and Savior on display for them. Right, it's an opportunity for us to show who God is, to put him out there in front of people. Generosity says, I know who my God is. He is the one who made everything, the one to whom all things belong, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is the richest of the rich, and he has always met all of my needs with an abundance. And I have no reason whatsoever to think that he won't keep meeting those needs. If that's who I believe that he is, why am I so intent on hanging on to what's mine? Because I know that it's not mine anyway. And I know that whatever I give away, he'll give more. Generosity says, I believe that he who did not spare his only son, he'll also with him, freely give us all things. Generosity says, I see God's promises in Scripture and I lay hold to them, not for myself, but for others. I'm not saying, right, name it and claim it, right? If you give stuff away, God's going to give you more stuff. But God has blessed us. And we have no reason to think that he'll stop if we bless others with what he's given us.
Generosity says that I love and serve a God of abundance, a God of extravagance, a God who generously gives us in oversupply of grace day after day after day. And I'm going to live like all of that is true and all of my doubts are false. This is who the early church is. This is who God is calling us to be as his people. We are called towards generosity. Not so that people can look at us and say, oh, they're so generous. But so that they can see Jesus in our generosity. The next thing we see here in this passage is the powerful witness of the apostles. Luke says, and with great power comes great responsibility. He says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Here, we see them doing exactly what Jesus said they would do. Right? He said, stay in Jerusalem. I'm going to empower you with the Spirit, and then you'll be my witnesses. They're doing exactly what Jesus said they would do. The Spirit's empowering them to bear witness to what Jesus did, to his resurrection, to his life, to, to his gospel message. They're talking about the things that they've seen and heard. Now hear this. We, you and I, can do this too. We're not apostles, right? We, didn't, we aren't eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. We weren't with him from the baptism of John until he ascended into heaven. We don't meet those qualifications that are laid out in Acts 1, but we can be his witnesses, right? Just look, look at what they're doing. Think about what they're doing. In the power of the Spirit, they're telling people about who Jesus is and what he's done. And more specifically, They're telling people about the things that they have witnessed for themselves. They're not talking about things Jesus has done for other people. They're saying, I I saw it. I was there. I I was there when he rose again. I was there when he ascended into heaven. I, I, I saw him heal that person. I heard him preach this message. They're talking about the things that Jesus has done in their own lives. And when we look at the apostles and think about it that way, For me, at least, it makes it so much more attainable. I don't have to give a theologically exhaustive and comprehensive and robust gospel presentation in every single conversation I have. If that's what I have to do, that's hard. I don't have that kind of time. But if instead, I can just share with other people under the power of the Spirit things that Jesus has done in my life, I can talk about those things. You can talk about those things. This week, to give you an example, my neck has been bothering me. It's been sore, it hurts, and it's made me pretty irritable. Grumpy and grouchy and just maybe not pleasant to be around. And then I remember who Jesus is and what he's done. I remember that he's, he's making all necks new. Like, like he, he came so that no one would feel like this ever, ever again. 
And when I remind myself of that, when his spirit like works that into my soul, I'm not irritable. I can have hope and joy because I know that he has suffered in my place so that I won't have to suffer anymore. This week we had, uh, like I'm sure a lot of you did, many rough parenting moments. And in those moments, I can feel shame and defeated and just think like I'm the worst dad ever. Or I can ask for forgiveness and forgive because I know how much God in Christ has forgiven me. We can easily, if we just intentionally think about our lives, about what has been going on, see places in which Jesus is working in our lives, not just in the past, But right now, in our lives, this week, in in the present, right? Jesus accomplished his work not just on the cross. But he worked this week. And he was working on Friday in my life, in your life. He's working today in my life, in your life. He'll be working this week in my life, in your life. And by the Spirit, we can open our mouths and tell people about the things that Jesus is doing. Not just he did all this stuff for me in the past, but he's still working in my life. The only reason I'm a good dad at all is because of him. So let's tell people about the ways in which he's working in our life. That's what powerful witness looks like. It doesn't look like having the best words or the best arguments or to be able to say all the right words. It means to let the Spirit lead us to share with people about what we have experienced Jesus doing in our lives. The end. That's good news for people. There are people out there that need to hear about your struggle with parenting or with pain or with something else and hear about how Jesus is working in that right now because that's good news to them and their struggle. We can be unified. We can be generous and we can be powerful witnesses because of who he is and what he's done for us. So let's talk about that with other people. Luke closes out this kind of summary of who they were with the foundation of everything that came before. He says, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They were unified. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They were generous. uh, And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They were bearing witness to Jesus. And number four, great grace was upon them all. How were they unified? Great grace was upon them. How were they generous? Great grace was upon them. How did they powerfully bear witness to who Jesus is and what he's done? Great grace was upon them. The only way they were the church that Jesus had called them to be was because grace was upon them. The only way we will be the kind of church that Jesus calls us to be is if his grace is on us. Right? We cannot be unified on our own. We won't be generous on our own. We won't bear witness to Jesus on our own. The only way we will do any of this stuff is if his grace is on us. So if you're here today and you think, I just don't feel unified. I feel, I feel divisive. I feel my heart drawn against people instead of towards people. If that's you, I've got good news for you. Great grace 
is upon you. Right? You can't do it on your own. You can't be kind, be unified, be uh, not quarrelsome with other people. The only way you will be those things is if his grace is upon you. And when Luke says, great grace was upon them all, don't make the mistake of thinking like it's past tense. It's past tense because Luke was telling Theophilus about what had already happened in the life of the church. But grace, grace is always upon Jesus' people. It was in Acts 2. It is in Acts 4. It will be when he's done writing Acts. It was this past week for us. It is today. And it will be forever for his people. His grace is always upon us. And it never runs out. If you're here today, and maybe the Spirit convicted you, or you felt pushed when we talked about generosity. I know I did. Got good news for you too. You're not generous. In and of yourself, you're selfish. You're a miser. You want to build your own little financial kingdom. But grace is upon you. Right? Jesus can enable us to be who we're not. Right? He changes our affection. He draws us towards people. He makes us care about others instead of just about ourselves. So if you struggle with generosity, that's good news. Everyone does. The only way we don't is if his grace is upon us and working in us. Maybe you struggle to share with others about who Jesus is and what he's done for you, to talk about how he's working in your life. Maybe you feel like he's not working in your life. Maybe you feel like you don't have anything to share. Maybe you feel like you have lots of stuff to share and you just can't do it. Got good news for you too. You're, you're a bad witness. We all are. The only way we're not bad witnesses is we recognize that his grace is upon us. He is working in us to make us who we are not. None of us, no one here, no one in this passage has it all together. The only thing that makes us uh, anywhere close to being possible to being this kind of people is if his grace is on us. He's working in us. He's empowering us to be the people that we're not, to be the church that we're not, to, to be unified with one another in the midst of a world that is divided, to be generous in the midst of a world that is selfish, and to be powerful witnesses of a God who is alive and living and active and working in our lives in the midst of a world that thinks he's dead. Right? We can be those people. We can preach that message because his grace is upon us. Our only hope is not to try harder and do better and work harder. Just to think, well, if I just kind of pull myself up by my bootstraps, I can push in towards unity. I can push in towards generosity. I can be more intentional about sharing what Jesus has done in my life. We can't do that on our own. The only way we will live the kind of life that Jesus called us to be, the only way we'll be the new creations that we are is if we get more grace from him. And he always gives it. So let's ask him together to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that your grace upon us 
is not based on us. We didn't and couldn't and haven't done anything to earn or deserve it. And yet you give it freely, generously to us. And so we know that our only hope is you. We know that our only hope to to be the people that you've called us to be is if you graciously empower us by your spirit. We know that the only reason the early church was the early church is because your spirit was working and moving in them. Your grace was upon them greatly. And so we ask, Jesus, that you would do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We, We can't do unity well. We aren't generous people on our own. We aren't good witnesses to who you are and what you've done for us on our own. And so we need you to work in us to produce the fruit that only you can. And so we pray that you would pour out your grace on us. That people would see us And have no explanation for our church, for our lives, other than God's grace must be on them. Help us to be who you've called us to be by grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.